hits all the time. We are family. Max Scherzer, double-digit case. We're busting ours. Kick yours. Fun to watch. Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not perfect. Oh, mercy. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the Masson newsroom, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano, still with two broken wrists, despite the fact that it has been five and a half weeks, four and a half weeks since I broke these wrists, and a healthy-wristed Brendan Mortensen here with you as always. Uh, Brendan, the season is over. The podcasts are not. We're going to keep going through the offseason as we will with all of our Masson All Access content and all of our Masson Orioles social content as well. Just because baseball is not being played in Baltimore does not mean there will not be coverage during the entire offseason. So yesterday was kind of our first day of, uh, of not being here. I think yesterday was the first day yeah. not being here in, in quite a while. Yeah. And here we are right back at it. <laughs> here we are. Not, we not a lot not of time off. be more thrilled. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a lot to talk about with this there Orioles is. team, especially over the offseason. So we will not uh, run dry on topics, I don't think. This is true. I don't know how this offseason is going to play out. I think maybe at the end of the podcast, we should throw out maybe some ideas, general ideas of how we think this, this offseason will play out for the Orioles. Because honestly, I, like, I have an idea in my head of how the Orioles might approach this offseason, but it's dependent on a lot of other teams doing different things. So I don't know how any team, I don't even know how the contenders are going to approach this offseason, if they're going to buy like they would any other year, if if free agents are just going to sit there on the market like they did two years ago, or if they're going to be flying off the shelves. I have no clue, no clue whatsoever. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to that later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but in the meantime, we have a lot to talk about in terms of wrapping up this 2020 season. Uh, we are going to revisit our predictions that we made before the season, which was, what, two months ago? Mere, mere two and a half months ago. And, and boy, do they look bad in hindsight. Horrible. Hor- just terrible. Yep. Uh, to be fair, no, not to be fair. We're, no, you know, they were just horrible. They were just bad. I have no excuse. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but first, Brendan, we should hand out some superlatives. It's, it's like the last day of school. Mm-hmm. Just uh, everybody signing each other's yearbooks. Putting the little hags in hags. there. <laughs> that's it. Nothing else. That's that's how you know you did not have a, you know, you, you weren't particularly close to somebody when you just got the hags. Yeah, that feels like we're digging up something deep for you here, Paul. <laughs> if Brittany Some deep-rooted issue. <laughs> if she just wrote a nicer note, maybe, uh, you know, <laughs> maybe high school would have been different. No, but. Uh, All right. <laughs> well, baseball. Let's talk about baseball. Yeah. Let's talk about the. Uh, the superlatives. Uh, Brendan, what is your first superlative? We already have the the MVO as a superlative in and of itself, most valuable Oriole, of course, Anthony Santander. But what is your other one? Well, there's most valuable Oriole. How about most valuable pitcher for the Orioles? Okay. I had two here, two possibilities. Uh, the first one being Tanner Scott. Okay. I think if you look at the season as a whole, I think Tanner Scott probably has the best season out of any Orioles pitcher. Um, the reason I'm a little hesitant to give it to Scott is because, yes, the one three eight ERA over 25 uh, games pitched looks fantastic, but it's, it's tough for me to give it to a guy who pitches just under 21 innings on the season, yeah. especially when you're not a closer. 
So Tanner Scott, I think, maybe had the best season out of any Orioles pitcher. But I'm honestly going to give most valuable pitcher to John Means, I think. Really? Yeah. I mean, John Means, with a shaky start to the season, yes. But his last four games of the year, absolute gems. 21 strikeouts over his final two games. Did not give up more than one run over his final four starts. And for an Orioles team that got relatively inconsistent pitching throughout the year, John Means, the last four starts of the season, he put you in a prime position to win those baseball games. The Orioles, yes, go 2-2 two and two in those games. Not great, but I think John Means makes a very good case for being the most valuable starter on this Orioles team. In terms of starter, I might give it to Alex Cobb over John Means just because John Means through no fault of his own, missed a couple starts in there. Um, of course, having to go back home and uh, be with his family during the, the early season. And Alex Cobb was not as sharp near the end of the season as we saw John Means be, but Alex Cobb was consistent and much more consistent, I will say, than I expected him to be. Uh, I did not really fully expect him to make every start this season and he did he made 10 starts uh or actually he missed one start because he was a little bit under the weather and of course they had to take precautions I think that's the kind of thing he probably would have made that start um if it weren't during a COVID season so he made 10 starts which is more than I thought he might make and was fairly consistent he he wasn't dominant he had some good starts at Fenway uh had a 4-3-0 ERA for him means if you give means another month of the season he wins this award easily but I think just given the starter aspect. But another, um, you mentioned Tanner Scott out of the bullpen. Paul Fry had a quietly very good season. I mean, you have to feel very good about uh, Paul Fry's season it, it really coming out of nowhere. I mean, he was fine last year, but now you all of a sudden have a, a 30-year-old, or veteran, 27-year-old rather, uh, veteran lefty reliever that has a whole lot more trade value headed into this offseason than he would have a year ago. So he is a candidate for most, most valuable reliever. But I think, yeah, if you, if you split that award into two, starter for Cobb, reliever for Tanner Scott. Yeah, and how about the fact that we're talking about multiple guys in the Orioles' bullpen that, that had great seasons, yeah. and we are deciding who had the best one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, how about Travis Lakins had yeah. a, a two eight one ERA for the season in 22 games? Um, you know, Michael Givens was very good before he got traded. Uh, you know, Miguel Castro was solid before he got traded. So I, that is by far the most surprising thing. And I know they changed bullpen coaches between last year and this year, but I didn't see the kind of jump that these guys took on an individual level coming. And they almost to a man took big jumps. Yeah, and, and I have a, a most surprising superlative, yeah. most surprising individual player. I think if you're looking at most surprising position group, it's the Orioles bullpen. Yes, I would, I would agree. For sure. Uh, and that leads me into my most surprising individual player superlative. Again, I've got two because I'm indecisive and can't make up my mind. The first one I have is Tanner Scott, a one three eight ERA. Never had an ERA lower than four seven eight before this season. And I think he or Paul Fry and a few of these guys were the most consistent bullpen arms that the Orioles had. I think the most surprising for me personally is Tanner Scott. He always showed flashes but it wasn't this good until this season. And how about the fact that he had 10 strikeouts per nine, too? Oh, yeah. And he's always had excellent strikeout stuff. We've, talk, we've talked about it literally for years now. Um, the fact that he has been viewed as a, a potential 
top-end reliever just because of his stuff. It was the same type story with Miguel Castro, um, but had never put it all together um, and came out and dominated this year. Um, he was excellent. In terms of most surprising Oriole, I think it's it's tough because I think coming into the final like two or three weeks of the season, you could make a case for Pedro Severino, you could make a case for Chance Sisko, and then a bunch of those guys just kind of fell off in the final couple weeks of the season. Offensively, they really started to struggle. Um, maybe if you give them an extra month, they would have been able to hit their way out of it. But uh, unfortunately, I think you have to take Pedro Severino. His average dipped all the way down to 250. Yeah. That guy was hitting like 318. For, this was a guy who <laughs> yeah. we had the, uh, you know, mock all-star teams, if you will. He was a first half season. all-star. He was the first half starting American League catcher yeah. Yeah. In, the all-star, in the fake all-star game. Yeah. I, I, in terms of most surprising, positively, though, overall throughout the whole season, Cedric Mullins might take that for me because I really didn't see this this coming from him. This is a guy that finished the 2019 season in the Eastern League playoffs with the Bowie Bay Sox last year. And granted, he looked good at Bowie, but it was Bowie. And he he really fell all the way down several rungs last year. And to make it back up, and and he might not have gotten this opportunity if this were a normal season. If this were a normal year and you had Bowie and you had Norfolk, they might have just kept him down there to to work on stuff no matter what he hit. But the fact that they didn't have that and they had a need for outfielders, Cedric Mullins got his shot and he took advantage. He was excellent this season. He seemed to figure out what he was good at and just hone in on that. He wasn't trying to hit the ball out of the ballpark. He wasn't trying to drive the ball to the wall. He was bunting when he needed to. He was stealing bases when he needed to and playing excellent uh, defense in center field. Sometimes I think even better than we've seen him in previous years. So Cedric Mullins was shockingly very good for me. Yeah, gold glove caliber center field for Cedric Mullins. Hits 286 in September. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that That's incredible for Cedric Mullins. You know that I have been a Cedric Mullins stand throughout the year. That's my guy. I think he should be the opening day 2021 Orioles center fielder. I'm starting the campaign right now. I'm all aboard the Cedric Mullins hype train. The other guy who I thought was most surprising and has to at least be mentioned, Jose Iglesias. All bat, no glove, Jose Iglesias smashed all of his career highs. Yeah. His slash line was 373, 400, 556. For Jose Iglesias, a guy that the Orioles signed because they wanted somebody who would be a decent hitter and a great fielder. And, and he turned into a great hitter for the Orioles this season. And he still had those that high slugging percentage in o, and uh, OPS, considering he didn't hit his first home run until, what, a week and a half left in the season? Or two weeks left yeah. in the season? And considering the fact that if you watched him f- towards the end of the season especially, he was literally hobbling around there. Yep. I mean, he was having a hard time trotting around the bases after his home runs. Like he he was really tufted out through some uh, what seemed like a, a pretty painful hamstring injury. Um, you know, split time between DH and shortstop, and figured something out. I I don't know what it was. He had some kind of competition apparently with Joey Votto. From what we heard about, who could have more hits this season, and he beat Joey Votto in terms of hits, despite missing despite only playing, what, 40-ish games. Yeah, and it is a shortened season, so we're assuming that Jose Iglesias probably is not going to hit 373 over a 162-game season, but his batting average was 70 points higher than any point in his career. His slugging percentage 
was 150 points higher than it had ever been. I don't know who Jose Iglesias, his hitting coach is. Maybe it's Joey Votto. I don't know. But he figured something out, and I think the Orioles have to take a a really hard look at Jose Iglesias in the offseason, and you have to think that he would be a piece that you want to bring back for 2021. Well, he has an option, a team option, club option for the 2021 season. Mike Elias was asked in a press conference right before the end of the season if he was going to bring him back. Of course, Elias didn't say before the end of the season he wasn't going to announce anything in that kind of forum. But I think absolutely you have to pick up his option. It's only for, I believe, about 4 or $5 million. I think no question, because at the very least, you can flip him for somebody, considering the value that he has given you. I think the, the biggest thing is to try to get him 100% healthy this offseason. I think you, you absolutely have to pick up his option, um, just considering how what he did for your team in 2020. It, it, way, way more than I think the Orioles expected when they signed him to this one-plus-one deal. And we, uh, we got a comment on Facebook from Ronald Powell. Thanks for following along. Anthony Santander, a candidate for most surprising. But personally, I don't know if I was all that surprised yeah. with Anthony Santander. I mean, we didn't think that he would play the MVP caliber baseball that he was playing a few weeks before he went out with that injury. But Anthony Santander, I think we saw enough flashes last year of what he could do at the plate that we were expecting growth. I don't know if we were expecting him to be this good But I think the reason that he's not the most surprising for me is because, yes, Anthony Santander is a a really good quality outfielder. And I think personally, I was expecting that. Yeah, I mean, he, he you look at the numbers, he hit 261 this year. He hit he had the same exact average last year. The the areas that he improved upon uh, his power and his walks, um, he was getting on base more consistently um, and he was driving the ball out of the ballpark more consistently than he did last year. So the we it's weird. We we saw so we saw the signs of this yes. last year. And you know, even 2 years ago in 2018 he flashed potential. Um so it was just putting it all together. So yeah, I, I would think Santander. I was just a little bit less surprised by Santander, but that being said, he did well outperform expectations. Yeah, absolutely. So next superlative I have yes. uh, this is a more fun one. Fun Ooh. one. Uh, best hair. Oh, getting goofy. Okay. Best hair. We're yeah. getting goofy. There are, I think, four really solid candidates for best hair, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, surprising number of candidates. Uh, maybe some of the best hair. Do the Orioles have the best hair in Major League Baseball? Off the top of my head. I mean, the Padres have Clevenger. Uh, they do. I don't, and Tatis has some and glorious Tatis, hair as well. Manny's hair brings that way down, though. Yeah. Um, I think I think they're certainly in the running. They're they're definitely in the running. I think we can make running. a whole other podcast about who has the best hair in Major League Baseball. You want to fill forty five minutes with best hair? We can do <laughs> I it. Think we could. We can do it. I think we could. Uh, yeah, they have some good candidates on this team. Though. Yeah, the four I have: Hunter Harvey, Rio Ruiz, Asher Wojciechowski, and the new guy Dean Kramer. I think those are the top four yes. solidly for best hair. It's funny because coming into summer camp, Mike Elias was rocking some flow before he eventually got his hair cut. I think all of us at some point were rocking some... Our producer, Bobby Blanco, was rocking some serious flow at some point. Yeah. Because nobody had a haircut for like three months. Right. Uh, so Mike Elias might have been a candidate for this had he not gotten an unfortunate haircut. His hair looks great. But uh, I might have to give it to Dean Kramer here. Ooh. 
I think Hunter Harvey is is right there with him. I think Rio Ruiz is is uh, it's bold. I don't know if it's the best hair. It's certainly it's a choice. It's a choice. It's a choice. I'll say that. Uh, apparently, that what he did was he would just have. I think he would have his wife just like buzz the sides. Really, and that, and that's it. That's Which is, awesome. Look, the safest way to do it in these times. So good and for him. Fiscally responsible. Fiscally responsible as well. Yeah. Um, but I mean, Dean Kramer. We're showing some video on here as well for those watching on Facebook and YouTube. I mean, that is some. That is some lettuce. If I've yeah. ever seen some California kid. Uh, knows how to rock the flow. And it's the intimidation factor. I mean, you're up at the plate and you see that hair on the mound. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, cool. I think of uh, who's the Giants pitcher? Tim uh, Lincecum. Tim Lincecum. The, Big time Timmy Jim. Yeah, I mean, he would. He had that violent motion to the plate and you would just see the yeah. hair bobbing towards you. Yeah, I mean, that's it's it's at very least a distraction. Yes. Yes. I, I think I'm going to go Hunter Harvey. Okay. I think he was more consistent. You know, we, we knew about his flow from yes. the beginning of summer camp. It was a hot topic for a long time. But was, Dean Kramer, the dark horse, I, I do like that yeah. pick. But I've, I'm, I'm going to stick with Who Harvey. Who was it that compared Hunter Harvey's hair to the Tiger King at the beginning of the season? I can't remember. It might have been Rio Ruiz. I can't remember who compared that. But, I mean, that that is just awesome hair. It's good stuff. It's really good he, stuff. But apparently he's not going to what he said in his last Zoom press conference of the season is that he intends to take a weed whacker to it. And uh, that is chop that bad boy down. That is the day that I don't come back to work. It's the day that Hunter Harvey cuts his hair. That will be a sad day for Oregon. Yeah, I mean, what if it's like a tangled thing? You know, what if his powers just kind of disappear? That his his wow. fastball just That's starts something losing, to think about. losing velocity immediately. It's or maybe concerning. he'll be more aerodynamic. I, much to consider. Much to consider. <laughs> much to consider. All right. Next superlative I have. Yeah, give it to me. Uh, I'm not going to make fun of your over-under just yet yeah, for we're get trades. Okay. Um, but one of the superlatives I have, favorite deal that the Orioles made this year. They made a few, dealing some relievers away, getting back some good prospects. Five for nine, yeah, I believe, were the numbers. They ended up trading five guys and got yes. nine back in return. So, Paul, I ask you, what is your favorite Oriole deal of the year. I think it has to be oh it's close. <laughs> I think <laughs> it, it has, has to be, be a, oh it's close. I mean I was thinking Miguel Castro just because of I, I those prospects that they got back. Um, I believe the Miguel Castro trade was Taryn Vavra and Tyler Smith. I believe were those two. Uh, or no Kevin Smith Kevin Smith was, was the, the Miguel, Miguel Castro, Castro trade. trade. Sorry. Yes. The Michael Givens trade was, was Taryn Vavra, Vavra and uh, who is the first baseman slash third baseman that they Tyler got? Nevin? Tyler Nevin, um, that I think has the best chance to the the chance to produce the best talent overall. But Tommy Malone trade is probably my favorite just because they got something out of nothing. That is that is the quintessential rebuild. Mike Elias trade is is flipping a guy that I remember first. I think it was Valentine's Day, first day basically of pitchers and catchers, or maybe it was when position players reported, oh, yeah, they signed Tommy Malone and he's in camp. <laughs> they traded two prospects to him to the Braves. So, so uh, absolutely, I think that is the best return uh, f- considering the val- the, what you gave up uh, because Michael Givens got you the best players overall, but also you gave up more in a, a talented reliever. So I'm going to fall somewhere in the middle of right. those two deals. I think the Michael Givens trade probably gives you the best prospects in return. And like you said, you know, the Tommy Malone deal 
gives you something out of nothing. My favorite deal falls in the middle, and it's the Miguel Castro trade, okay. where you get Kevin Smith in return. Smith actually becomes the highest-ranked prospect out of any guy that you get back. Really? He's number 12 in the Orioles' top 30, just ahead of Taron Vavra, who's number 13. And the reason I love that deal is because if you are looking at the Orioles' farm system, I talked about this when the deal first happened, you've got a lot of pitchers that are kind of in that upper-mid-tier when you look at the Orioles system, guys like the Dean Kramers and Keegan Akins that have already made the big leagues, and then Zach Lowther, Alex yeah. Wells, Michael Bauman. Alexander, please. Alexander Wells, yes. Please. That, that group of... It sounds so much more distinguished. It, I love it, that. It, it does. It does. Uh, so that group of pitchers that can come up to the majors and I think has the potential to be somewhere in the number three to number five yeah. starting roles for the Orioles. When you've already got the Grayson Rodriguez and the DL Halls that you're hoping are going to be your number one and number two, and you just keep adding to this pile of guys who have the potential to be somewhere in the three through five, you are just increasing your odds that not only are you going to have the studs at number one and number two, but you're going to have a full deep rotation. Yeah. And I think that's the reason that this is my favorite deal because you are just increasing those odds with every new guy that you get that falls in that group that a few of them are going to fill out the back end of that rotation. Absolutely. And I think if you're the Orioles, in a few years, you want that deep rotation. That is going to get you far. Right. If you have five consistent guys, that's one thing the Orioles have lacked hey, for a while. I think we'll see it play out over the course of this month. Yeah. Is, is the which, especially because this, in this year, the there really are no off days, very, very few off days in this postseason run. So guys are going to have to be, it, it's tough to bring a guy back on short rest. We're not going to be most likely not going to be able to see kind of what the nationals did last year in the world series. And uh, the, the postseason is bring back guys off short rest out of the bullpen. It's going to be tougher to do that because there are going to be so few off days as they jam the whole schedule into October, but all to say starting pitching is how you win games. And that's, uh, you know, the Oriole way is starting pitching and defense. So that's, that would be a, an awesome exciting return to form uh, to see that over the next few years yeah so that's that's my favorite deal we've got two more superlatives we'll run through them quick most fun to watch this season for the baltimore orioles it's tough i mean santander was lightning in a bottle for the first month of the season just like a must watch whenever he uh came to the plate cedric mullins certainly was exciting um at times i might go dean kramer here because Though, aside from the last start, whenever he got the ball, I mean, it was it was like, after that, well, the first start you want to see because it's his debut, he lights it up his first start. And then you want to watch every start after that because are we seeing the, you know, the the creation of, a, of an ace here? Because his stuff, it wasn't just that he was, you know, he wasn't plotting through six innings here. He was striking out, you know, six and seven, eight Yankees at a time and, and making them look silly. So it was his the combination of his stuff, his hair. I, I might put Dean Kramer as the most exciting to watch. Granted, only four starts, I think. That's a good choice. I, I think I've got two. Okay. Again, I keep hedging my bets on these because yeah. I just have too many guys that I want to list. First one is Ryan Mountcastle. Okay. Um, just yeah. because, you know, he's the big-time prospect, and when he plays, it feels like you are getting a glimpse into the future of what this Baltimore Orioles team can look like in a yeah. few years when they've got more of those young studs on the roster playing well it was really exciting to see Mountcastle come up and play well so quickly 
I don't know if any of us were expecting him to be this good this soon. So Mountcastle is my first one. And then second, Hanser. Yeah. I, I just love that dude. Yeah. I know, I know a lot of Orioles fans share that opinion. He's just so fun to watch. Like, he just has such a love for the game of baseball that you watch him play and it, it reminds you why you love baseball. Yes. It's for guys like Hanser. And in a season that often did not look normal and was at times did not look like the, the baseball that we were used to seeing with no fans in the stands and cutouts and pumped in crowd noise and seven inning double headers. Hanser made it feel normal. It, it, he was, it was like he was playing in front of 40,000 fans. Uh, you know, the, the energy that he brings, it, I think some guys talked about it was tougher to get themselves up for games, especially as the season wore on. Never a problem with Hanser. No. Never a problem. He was so exciting to watch and, um, you know, started out on fire, cooled down a little bit, um, but he was exactly what they needed from him. And a guy who got on base and a guy who got people pumped in the in the clubhouse and in the dugout and a guy that, um, you know, I think could be with this team at least for another couple of years. Yeah, because regardless of the stats... He just makes baseball fun. Yeah. And I think that's really valuable, not only for us who get the pleasure of watching him, but for the guys in the clubhouse as well, like you said. Like he yeah, gets I mean, the he guys was, excited and, and and little stuff like cleaning the Oh know, yeah. Put, you know, putting yeah. uh cleaning out the dugout after games or before He's games, just the man. wiping stuff down. Yeah. Great guy. Great guy. All right, final one. Who are you most excited for in twenty twenty one on the Baltimore Orioles? That is it somebody that had to make their debut? In 2020? Not, not necessarily. Okay. This because, is this is open-ended. Yeah. I think in a podcast down the road, I think what we should talk about is is maybe some prospects that if this were a normal year that we might have seen in 2020, mm-hmm. um, and then try to predict the prospects that we will see in 2021. Because, um, I mean, I do still think Adley makes his debut in 2021. Um, but at this point, I mean, Mountcastle is just, you, you just touched on him, but... He was everything that you were expecting and more. And emphasis on the more. He was better than we predicted when our podcast, the day he came up. Uh, he was mature. He was uh, calm at the plate. Like, I thought he would come out swinging for the fences every time. He was, you know, driving doubles to the wall. He was dipping singles into shallow center field. He was uh, taking patient walks, drawing long counts. Ryan Mountcastle was just, and and playing passable defense in both left field and first base. I think Ryan Mountcastle has to get you absolute in the same way that Austin Hayes got Orioles fans pumped for the future in September 2019. Ryan Mountcastle did that. I think even more so with the month plus that he had to end this 2020 season. Took the words right out of my mouth, Paul. Those are the two that I was most looking yeah. forward to in 2021 because we haven't seen a full season of Ryan Mountcastle because he was called up in this shortened year, and we still haven't seen a full season of Austin Hayes. And those are two guys who have shown amazing sparks when they have been healthy and playing, yeah. and I really want to see a full season of both those two. And then, of course, for 2021, I'm really excited for the return of Trey Mancini. Yes. Dearly missed this season and it, it's going to be not only a great story, but he's going to be a great addition to this Orioles lineup and the Orioles team as a whole. So and, I'm really excited for that. And, of course, makes you wonder what this team might have accomplished with Trey Mancini yep. in the lineup. Um, it, it, it really, 
And it, hopefully we'll get to see next year. Yeah. Um, I do, before you, we change gears, Austin Hayes, do you feel better about him, better or worse now than you did at the conclusion of the 2019 season? I think I feel a little bit better about Austin Hayes, really? to be honest, because he's still showing you those flashes. Yeah. I mean, he was on fire since he came back. And don't forget, too, that Austin Hayes played, what, about a week and a half with that rib injury? Yeah, he did. So I think those stats at the beginning of the year are not the true Austin Hayes. I also don't think he's going to hit 375 like he did when he came back. Right. I think the true Austin Hayes lies somewhere in the middle. But he has, throughout those batting struggles, played solid defense in both center field and left field. Yeah. I think the Orioles potentially have found a home for Hayes and left, not because he wasn't great in center, but because of how good Cedric Mullins was in center. Yeah. So I'm honestly even more excited for Austin Hayes because I think, A, the duo of him and Cedric Mullins in the outfield is a dream defensively, and B, he is still showing those flashes at the plate. I agree. I might have said a little bit worse just because he was a guy that struggled with injuries his entire minor league career and to have to see him miss more time this year but the problem is it, you know it's not a soft tissue injury it's nothing right he got drilled in the ribs with yeah, a pitch not not much so you can do about he's not yeah exactly it's 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 hard it, you can't fit that into the narrative of a guy that is injury prone but i do think that he you need to watch him carefully because i that is i think the only thing that can really not the only thing the biggest thing that could derail him potentially and his long-term future is those injuries. He's just got to take care of himself, and um, and they just have to get lucky injury-wise with, with Austin Hayes because that is the the thing that worries me the most about him going forward. But I'm not too worried about his offense. I think that we saw near the end of the year, that's the Austin Hayes we were used to seeing. Um, that's the healed ribs Austin Hayes. That's, you know, the Austin Hayes that wasn't asked to lead off every game to, you know, for the first time when he made a roster out of out of uh spring training which i think was a lot to throw on the kid and he can handle it but he was certainly struggling maybe trying to do too much the first month of the season gets injured but the last few weeks of austin hayes that's the austin hayes i think we'll see more of and hopefully we get a full season of healthy austin hayes yes for exactly. 2021 um all right let's let's switch over to our over unders brendan we let's do it. a mere two and a half months ago went through over unders and we these are ones that we created um, so I really don't have an excuse because I created the over You did. Too. You did. And um, I highlighted them red for the ones I got wrong and There's, green for the ones I got right. Paul, there seems to be a lot of it red is, on your yeah, side. Yeah, it is. Um, a lot of green on my side. It's like a the, lot of red on the yours. The great Christmas light show mm. is, is what I'm yeah. seeing. Um, let's start with Alex Cobb starts. Let's do it. Uh, I set the over-under at six and a half. I predicted under. I think he. I thought he might struggle with, with injuries just because that's what we saw from Alex Cobb. He hit the over. Ten starts, as we mentioned. Yeah. More more surprising. Ye of little faith. You predicted over. Good for you, Brendan. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle games played. Again, me of little faith. 20 and a half. I set the over under. I predicted under. You predicted over. I thought they would I thought they'd hold on to him until like the last two weeks of the season. Yeah, and, and my thinking was if you're calling up Ryan Mountcastle, you're going to call him up for a significant period of time. Yeah. That's what happened. You were right. What can I say? All right, Renato Nunez homers. This one we were darn close with. Darn tootin' close. Yes. <laughs> Didn't need that. <laughs> uh, Renato Nunez homers, 12 and a half I set the over-under at. 
I predicted the overs. He came one homer shy, Oof. finishing the year with 12 homers. You predicted the under. Uh, I think he still I led the team. Yeah, with 12 homers. I'm pretty sure I had predicted that he was going to hit like 10 or 11. He hits 12, but I I still got the under there. Yeah, and then uh, and then we really just start to fall off the tracks here. I yeah, mean, this is a bad Disney. Well, I mean, you've been ride. off the tracks for a little bit. This is where I was. I'd... I think I was teetering. I think the like the cart was starting to teeter, and now you know, know this is a crash and burn type situation. Yeah. Um, all right, Chris Davis homers. I predicted nine and a half. I think I was a little bullish. I think we all were at this point. Slightly. Uh, did not have a homer in twenty twenty. Of course, injury riddled season, so did not get the number of at bats that we all expected him to have. Uh, so he. We missed there, and then we also had Chris Davis, Utah Street homers. One and a half, you predicted under, so you got that. I predicted over. Yeah, I had an under for the Utah Street dingers. I think he has nine or ten in his career, so one and a half would have been a lot in a shortened season. But look, everything we heard in spring training leading up to the season and saw was that Chris Davis was returning to maybe not his 50-plus home run form, but still returning to a form where he wasn't going yeah. to struggle as much at the plate as he had the season before. Don't trust your eyes, kids. We were optimists for sure in that. I think we all wanted to see Chris Davis succeed and get back to where he was before. Unfortunately, he got hit with the injury bug and out of his control a little bit. Didn't look great at the plate when he was yeah. healthy. So we're hoping for the best with Chris Davis. Didn't get it this season. Pessimists we were with this one. John Means ERA. We both predicted over 3.75. Finished actually crazily close. Uh, not crazily, but much closer than I thought he would finish considering how he started the season. Remember, he had a, an ERA over 10 for the first three weeks of the season because of missed time and a bad start to the year. Finished with, what, a 4-3, 4-5, I think, ERA? Somewhere um, around there. Which, considering the start that he had to the season, I think is impressive. Yeah, and that's why I went over on that ERA. Four, five, he finishes three. yeah with a 4-5-3. The reason I went over with that ERA is because with John Means, you were probably not going to get that many starts this season. And if you have one or two bad starts, yeah. your ERA balloons. And unfortunately for John Means, he had a few rough starts at the beginning of the season. Was absolutely stellar over the last four. Didn't give up more than one run throughout those four starts. So his ERA was a victim of having a few rocky starts at the beginning of the season. It's tough to keep an ERA below 375 unless you are consistently excellent throughout those games, and a few bad starts can really derail you. The weird thing is the last few starts of the season that he made, I think I feel better about him now than I did at this point last year yes i would agree he ended the last he ended the 2019 season on kind of a down note you know finishing with i think a four or five era for the second half didn't quite look like the same guy the all-star that we saw in the first half reverse of that this year and not only reverse of that it wasn't just like john means looked like his old self john means looked better than his yeah old i self. think this was better than all-star john means and because he was he had way more ticks to his fastball which he had throughout the whole season but he figured out how to use it and he was not relying on it. I think the first half of the season, he was relying on it so much um, because he thought, well, I have a blow-you-away blow fastball now. Right. Um, but now he realized, no, I, I still need to be kind of a backwards pitcher and still use that deadly changeup. And when I can break out that fastball and it hits 97, 98 maybe, 
then that will do some damage. So if you look at John Means ERA for the season, that 4-5-3 does not look amazing, but we urge you to look at the final four games of the season for John Means because I think that is a better reflection of how his season went and what his 2021 yeah. season will be, hopefully, next year. Labor Torres homers against the Orioles. I set it at three and a half. He finished with a whopping zero in eight games. Yeah. Good by the Orioles. Good Keep job. Labor Torres in check. He but, did hit thir- 333 against them. All right. So here's, here's what happened. Glaber Torres did not hit home runs against the Baltimore Orioles this season. And me being naive thought that he would do the same. Little did I know he would simply transfer his powers to Randall Gritchick. Yeah. <laughs> because that is exactly what happened. I looked. We should have so, said Randall Gritchick. Home uh, yeah, we should have. Yeah. So Cespedes Family Barbecue, uh, friends of the program. Friends of the pod. We, they, they tweeted out that if it weren't for Randall Gritchick, the Baltimore Orioles would make the playoffs. And out of <laughs> he, sheer curiosity, I gave it a look. And now this is the worst sabermetrics in the history of sabermetrics. Okay. But if you take the games in which the Orioles played the Blue Jays, if you take Randall Gritchick's RBIs away from those games, yeah. which again is horrible sabermetrics. He finished with seven homers in would, 10 games. Yes. Because you would probably assume that if you take Grishik out of the lineup, somebody else replaces him and yeah. maybe gets some of those RBIs back. But if you want to be stupid like I am and just take those RBIs out, the Blue Jays either lose or tie four of those baseball games. Which means that if you theoretically put those Orioles losses as wins in the games that Randall Grichik pretty much single-handedly destroyed the Orioles... The Orioles' record would improve by four games. The Blue Jays' record would be worse by four games. And the Baltimore Orioles would be a wild card team. (laughs) If you do the horrible, rough sabermetrics and swap the result of those four games, the Blue Jays are out and the Baltimore Orioles are in the playoffs. One man. One man. And that man is Randall (laughs) Gritchick. And we all saw it coming. We, we did. really all predicted. We said, Randall Gritchick, he's the guy you got to pitch around in that Blue Jays lineup. Somehow it happened. Seven homers and 18 RBIs in 10 games. Yeah. I struck him out nine times. If you were my anal- analytics professor from Syracuse and you heard that, no, you didn't. <laughs> that right. is the worst uh, <laughs> that, yeah, that was, I've ever That was run. not great. All right. Yeah. Um, trades, final one. Trades over unders. Uh, I predicted the under for 0.5. I did not think the Orioles... I didn't think anybody was going to make a trade this season. I didn't think... I mean, I thought it might happen, but um, before the season started, we were all having the discussion of, can you trade a guy during a pandemic? Because you have to move him across the country in some instances. Um, They did it. They did it safely. Kudos to them. I mean, kudos to everybody who was involved in this season for allowing this 60-game season to go through by working hard to not to quarantine, to not go out, um, and to take this seriously. And I think we saw some hiccups, obviously, at the very beginning of the season. But these guys clearly learned from that, and um, everybody around the team was fantastic. Everybody with the Orioles was obviously fantastic at it. Um, and it, it, the fact that they were able to pull off this 60-game season it is honestly impressive and way more than I thought they were ever going to play. Yeah, that all to say I'm dead wrong. Yeah, over half a trade for the Orioles, 
over half a good trade for the Orioles. I believe the final tally for a uh, number of over-unders correct between the two of us is uh, two for you yep. and uh, seven. Oh, yeah, Brandon Hyde ejections. I forgot that one. Oh, Brandon Hyde ejections. I got that right. Yes. So you did get two correct. Over, over 0.5. Uh, I got seven. One time. Yeah. All right. Uh, before, uh, so seven to two. That is, real I just quick, need everybody though, to know. We should touch on team leaders yep. which, and then um, some of our season predictions. We can't do the postseason predictions, obviously, World Series predictions yet, but we can talk about uh, who finished with the division crowns. Yes. But team leaders, we both predicted Renato Nunez would lead the team in homers. He did by one, beat out Santander in the final Which is incredible. Series of the season. Santander did not play half the yeah. season, and he is still yes. in the lead or close to the lead for a lot of these categories. We both picked average Hanser Alberto. He finished with, what, 286-ish average, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was Jose Iglesias. All bat, no glove, Jose yeah. Iglesias. Uh, stolen bases, we both predicted Austin Hayes. I think if he had played a full season, he might have hit that, but instead it was Cedric Mullins. And I think neither of us really predicted that Cedric Mullins would be as big of a factor yeah. as he was this season. I didn't season. think he would play in this many games. Right. And he probably wouldn't have if Hayes had stayed healthy. Um, right, but if Hayes had stayed healthy, then you don't really see what you have with Cedric Mullins, true. which turns out to be a pretty darn good center fielder. Exactly. That'll be a fun battle to watch. The outfield battles coming yes. up. RBIs, I predicted Santander. You predicted Nunez. Santander tied with Rio Ruiz for 32. So I am, uh, I'm going to take a victory on that. Yeah, you didn't have many victories in the over-unders. Yeah, so, so give them to me. Yeah. OPS, I, I predicted Santander. You predicted Austin Hayes. You were uh, pretty wrong there. I was less wrong. Yeah. Well, less wrong counts, Who led the team? I was guess. it Iglesias? It was Jose Iglesias. Yeah. Uh, starter ERA, we both predicted Means. It was Alex Cobb. Uh, and if Means has one less rocky start at the beginning of the season, yep. it's probably John Means. But Alex Cobb was more consistent, even though he didn't have as many great games as John Means did. 2020 overall predictions. Remember, we put our, uh, uh, all the teams into a computer system yes. highly advanced computer system of by that microsoft I mean, excel google sheets oh it's google sheets please we want them Pardon to be our me. sponsor <laughs> we're point. not sponsored by google sheets we just really want to be we, we do want to be uh we can't go through the awards yet because they haven't been announced um but what we can do is say the orioles win loss total by the way i predicted 19 and 41 you predicted 20 and 40 they finished 25 and 35 so we were wrong we were very glad that we were wrong we, honestly yes um, at one point, it looked like they might go 35 and 25, but yes. uh, we were less wrong there. And then division winners, oh, AL East also, order-wise. Uh, I predicted the Rays, Yankees, Red Sox, Blue Jays, Orioles. The final finish was Rays, Yankees, Blue Jays, Orioles, and the Red Sox last, which honestly has to feel good as an Orioles fan to not finish last in the division. Considering the other team, and the, the team that finished last had like – a, a former MVP on the roster, and it was a much better, you know, team on paper, and the Orioles still finished with a better record. Yeah, I was not great on that one. I said Yankees, Rays, Blue Jays, Red Sox, Orioles. Not not my you were, best. You were better about Red Sox being worse, though. I was. I, I said that the Red Sox would stink this year because their starting rotation was awful, and, and then, it was. Yeah, and then this this one to close it out. Division winners. Uh, I got five out of six right. I just want to bring that up. Uh, Braves, Cubs, Dodgers, Rays, Twins. I got wrong the Angels. All right, I was wrong there. Yeah, I went I went pretty chalk on mine. Yeah. Uh, I went Yankees, who made the playoffs, Astros, 
made the playoffs still. Yeah, everybody. Twins, every, Braves, Dodgers. Uh, listen, all I'm trying to say. everybody made the playoffs. I know I was wrong. I know I didn't get all of the division winners right. I went three for six. I got the Twins, Braves, and Dodgers. But everybody who I predicted to win their division at least made the playoffs. Okay, so that that is my saving grace there. The Angels actually finished somewhat close. 26 and 34. Somewhat close. Not good enough. That's all I'm saying. Uh, I had the Reds also winning the NL Central. I loved that pitching rotation. I still love the pitching rotation. I think the Reds are the team that you don't want to see in the playoffs. That's my prediction. Then the computer predicted the Orioles, <laughs> A's, Indians. A's? Did, did we, wait, who won the... The A's. AL West. So, so they, they got, got that right. They got the A's, Braves, and Dodgers. So I tied Google Sheets for division for winners. You. Thank you. Thank they you. Also predicted, I tied Google. They also predicted a Mets-Orioles World Series. So... Yeah. Don't think that's going right. Not great. Um, before we get out of here, we just touched on the division winners. Who are you looking forward to in the playoffs? What what matchup in these this weird wild card round are you looking forward to? Uh, I've got two favorite matchups in the first round. Uh, first being Indians Yankees, specifically Game One of Shane Bieber versus Garrett Cole. It's going to be great. That is going to be awesome. Uh, and the other series that I think is going to be really intriguing is A's White Sox. Uh, I love this White Sox team. I had them as my sleeper at the beginning of the year. You can you can vouch for me on that one. I said the White Sox yeah. would be really good this season. They took a leap. I think that season is uh, that excuse me series is going to be great. And then over in the National League, the series that I really like, I hinted at it: Braves Reds. I think it's going to be a really interesting series. I really love the Reds pitching rotation. It's strength for strength. The Braves have one of the best lineups in Major League Baseball. The Reds have one of the best pitching rotations in Major League Baseball. I think that's going to be really interesting, especially for a 2-7. Yes, I completely agree. I think Yankees-Indians probably takes the top billing. And then in the National League, yeah, that uh, that Reds-Brave series is going to be exciting. And who knows, if, if the Brewers can win game one against the Dodgers or, you know, the any kind of surprise in that first game, there might be some a little bit of panic because all of a sudden yeah. they're playing those Dodgers, the best team in baseball, are playing for their lives. It, it's crazy the gap of success between the Dodgers and Brewers in the regular season, and it comes down to who's going to win a three few, games. Three games. Yeah, that's really. I mean, you you just have to win two games. You just have to win two in a row. Yeah, that is crazy. Yep, I don't think it's right. But we'll see what happens because <laughs> we they, it, it could all be chalk after the first. We don't know. You know. Yeah. We. The Dodgers most likely are still going to win that series. But if they drop one game, there could be panic. I, I have a few upsets, though, in the first round. I don't think it's going to be totally chalk. I have Yankees over Indians, which okay. is a 4-5. The Yankees being the 5, winning that series. I have the White Sox over the A's. That's okay. a 7 over 2. I actually have both 7s over the 2s. I have the Reds beating the Braves. Uh, and then the rest of the National League, I have chalk. I have Dodgers, Padres, and Cubs in that one, but a few upsets sprinkled in there, I think. It'll be fun to watch. It will be fun to watch, and uh, we will be around, and we'll be podcasting throughout the postseason and throughout the offseason, of course. Um, but first, thanks so much for listening and following along, watching all your comments, um, you know, all the views, all the likes, um, and and just following this, this season along. It was uh, a difficult season for everybody involved, I think, um, but it was pulled off because of hard work by the players, the team employees, the coaches, um, everybody involved with that operation. I think kudos to them. And and 
uh, we had fun covering it. We so, did. Um, going to be an exciting off-season to come, of course. Uh, thanks to Bobby Blanco for producing these uh, all season long. Thanks to uh, Drexel Wright and Spiro Alafasos for helping with the uh, behind-the-scenes stuff as well for the Mass and All Access podcast. Uh, and thanks to you um, for, for following along all season. But we're not going anywhere. So we'll, uh, we'll be back, and we'll see you in a week. He's Brendan Mortensen, and I am Paul Mancano, still with Broken Wrist. Maybe I won't have him next week. We'll see. We'll see. But thanks so much for tuning in.